we are repentant. We are grateful. We are redeemed. We are prayerful. We are First Baptist Church. We've been shaped by stories our entire lives. When we were younger, they were read to us at bedtime. They come from our teachers in class and friends in the hallways. We see them in our favorite movies and TV shows. We relate to them, visualize them, and share them. Jesus understood this and chose to teach through stories. And the stories of Jesus give life. His stories are called parables. And now we learn from these parables of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. Well, good morning, and let me welcome you once again to Logos Worship. It's always a joy, haha, there's the Advent word, joy to do this together and to be with you. If you're new with us today, thank you so much uh, for coming to this unknown place and being uh, among new people that you've never met before. Um, If you're a brother and sister in Christ, we belong to one another, even though you've never met us before, and that's really good news. But if you would let us know that you are here today, you can go to fbcsa.org slash connect. I'll let you do that right now on your devices. It's a, just the simplest way to let us know, hey, this is who I am, and I was here with you today, and, um, and we would love to make further connection with you. So as our bumper video informed you, and some of you already know this, that we are now in the heart of walking through the parables of Luke. And for those of you new to First Baptist, we do something that we call reverse. It's a way that we can literally be on the same page together like we are in Luke. So uh, you uh, receive the word through sermon on Sunday morning in Luke. Uh, And then in Bible study, when you're in small group or Sunday school, you're in the same passage. And then we encourage you also on your own at home in your normal rhythms of seeking and listening to the Lord to be in the same passage. So literally, uh, we are on the same page together throughout the week. And in reverse, we're on the same page together through 13 weeks. And so this morning, we are in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. And as I've been saying to a lot of people, um, many of these parables, especially if you've kind of grown up in church, or even if you've just um, been in church for a, a, a short season of your life, probably you've heard most of these parables, um, and certainly you've probably heard today's parable. Today's parable is about the, the sower and the seed and um, and, and so you're probably familiar with this. Um, one of the beauties of this parable is that Jesus does something in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 15, that he doesn't always do. He doesn't always explain exactly what his parables mean, but today he does. And so we're just going to read his explanation, and then we're going to be done this morning. Is that fine? That's not exactly going to happen. Y'all know that. But let's stand together. We're going to read just verses, uh, Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 8 with one another. Uh, Let's do that. One day, Jesus told a story in the form of a parable to a large crowd that had gathered from many towns to hear him. A farmer went out to plant his seed. As he scattered it across his field, some seed fell on a footpath where it was stepped on and the birds ate it. Other seed fell among rocks 
It began to grow, but the plant soon wilted and died for lack of moisture. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up with it and choked out the tender plants. Still, other seed fell on fertile soil. This seed grew and produced a crop that was a hundred times as much as had been planted. When he had said this, he called out, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. You may be seated. Father, Lord, we do ask that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. And so again, we are very grateful for Jesus's explanation. And Jesus's explanation for this parable begins with the word, with the word. In verse four, he says, one day Jesus told a story in the form of a parable to a large crowd that had gathered for many towns to hear him. In verse five, a farmer went out to plant his seed And then later he explains what that means. Um, He says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is God's word. And so the beginning of this parable gives emphasis to the word of God. And we know the word not only to be the revelation that is coming out of Jesus's mouth to the world, but we know that the word is Jesus himself. God's revelation of his redemptive and recreative purpose to the world. And this parable is a snapshot of how the word and God's word engages and interacts with the world, but it begins with the word. We get a really cool picture of the nature of the word, the gospel of John, the apostle John, probably most eloquently described the word. Let me read this famous text to you. Um, You know this well, if I can get there. John chapter one, verses one through five. The apostle John writes about the word. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. He created everything through him. Remember, God spoke the universe into existence and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The word was sown to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguishes it. This parable begins with the word, that the word is sown, that word who is Christ, the light uh, to the world, the very same word through which the whole universe was created, now spoken in and through the person of Jesus to recreate what has been broken by our own sin, rejection, and rebellion of God. And so if the seed is the word, which it is, that's what Jesus says, then the soils that it falls upon are those ears that are intended to receive the word, to hear it or see it. 
And what we see here in this parable is Jesus describes the sower of the seed. It's, it finds its way upon the path and different types of soil that we see that the word of God is revealed in an unprejudicial way. It's indiscriminate. It is, it is sown in all the different soils. Jesus tells us and Paul reminds us that God intends for all, his desire is that all would hear the word of God and be saved. The, the, the word is indiscriminate. For God so loved the world, whether rich or powerful or poor and weak, the word of God, the word is revealed to all. In Luke chapter seven, we see this really at work in a very tangible way. Way in verses 36 through 50, Luke retells the story of Simon the Pharisee that invited Jesus into his home. And so Jesus goes into the home. The word goes into Simon the Pharisee's home. And while they are reclining and eating their meal, this immoral, sinful woman comes into the courtyard and into the house of this home to define Jesus. And everyone knows what kind of woman this is. And they're all thinking, what in the world is she doing here? But she immediately goes to Jesus and she's weeping and her tears fall upon the feet of Jesus and she cleans Jesus's feet The word of God is revealed both to the poor and the weak and the immoral and the powerful and the influential and Simon the Pharisee. The word of God is indiscriminate and unprejudicial. It goes out, the word. The word, this parable begins with the word and the word came to both Simon the Pharisee and this sinful woman. This parable also describes to us how the world reacts and responds to the word, right? That's what stands out to us most as we walk through the four different soils. How does the world react? In verses five through seven, and then later in Jesus's explanation, let me just read Jesus's explanation in verses 12 through 14. He says, The seeds that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent prevent them from believing and being saved. The seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy, but since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while, then they fall away when they face temptation. The seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and so they never grow into maturity. So how does the world react to the word, Jesus, who is the greatest revelation of God that has been indiscriminately sown when the powerful and the weak and the poor and the rich, how do they respond? Well, clearly, Jesus says the world responds primarily in three different ways. It responds in such a way that it falls on deaf ears where before it has even a chance to germinate and to go into the soil because it's on the hard path, it is snatched away where the enemy distorts and robs people of hearing the truth or seeing the word. We see that all too often in our world, right? 
a distorted picture of who this Jesus is and a distortion of the gospel and people refuse it. They don't wanna hear it. It literally falls on deaf ears. And then he describes it in another way, that superficial response to the word of God, that it only kind of goes skin deep and it, the person is enamored by uh, the word of God for a moment and maybe they even experience the blessings of being in the community of faith and they're like, wow, this is awesome. Jesus is pretty cool, but in the next moment, they're quickly distracted and they move on to something else that's more enticing. Jesus just kind of sits on the surface until they're pulled away by something else. The next thing. And then he describes that soil that finds itself and that seed that finds itself among thorns. And Jesus describes that as the, the, the pleasures of this world that drowns out the word of God. Crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life, Jesus says. Uh, this again is that person who uh, initially responds to Jesus, but very quickly are become apathetic or different, indifferent to Christ because their life simply crowds him out. Uh, he has no place in their schedules or uh, their thought life or their ambitions and goals. It's probably this description of, of Jesus this, this particular soil that we can find most common in the institutional church, not the universal church, but the institutional church, that place uh, and, and that institution where we gather and where we can learn about who God is and respond to him. But in the institutional church can be full of people who show up, but the word of God, the word has, God has not grown deeply into their hearts and there's no room for him in the normal rhythms of their life. He's essentially non-existent everywhere else in their life. And so this is how the world responds in those three ways. Either the devil snatched, it, snatched the word of God, which is a, a reality and the nature of the enemy that doesn't want any of us to know and see and hear or respond to the world or the word. It's that superficial experience with, with Jesus when we are enamored for a moment but go on to other things, that next thing that captures our attention, and then that other sore where we simply just don't have room for him. Simply don't have room for him because of the pleasures of this life and the schedules that we keep and the demands that we face. He's nowhere to be found in that last soil because he is choked out. The word of God is choked out in that soil. So how about Simon the Pharisee in that story with the immoral woman? The immoral woman cannot believe that she finds forgiveness and peace and restoration in this man, Jesus. And she demonstrates that by her worship and adoration of him in that moment. And then we have Simon the Pharisee who can't even fathom, how in the world can this man Jesus forgive her sin? What kind of soil is he? 
What kind of soil is Simon the Pharisee who rejects Jesus? I would think he would probably be that first soil that can't see, can't hear. That word has fallen on the path where it is snatched away and distorted by the enemy. The last thing that that Jesus kind of describes in this parable is the nature of the coming kingdom of God. Um, He initially describes in the end of those parables of how the kingdom of God breaks into the lives of those who receive Jesus and cling to Jesus, who sink their roots deep into Jesus and who end up bearing real fruit as they endure until the very end. We see that in verses 8 and 15, that last soil. Jesus describes for those who are hearing, there will be those who fully receive the word and cling to the word and patiently endure regardless of the things that they face in life, undistracted, undeterred, but holding on to Jesus, they bear much fruit. The word of God will indeed break into the lives of people. And that's true. But as Jesus begins to explain this parable to his disciples, there's something else that's taking shape here that his disciples are the immediate beneficiaries of. I really believe that this parable is, uh, is an attempt by Jesus and an, and an intent by Jesus to explain what the disciples are both seeing and experiencing them all around themselves as God is, as Jesus is revealing himself to people. I mean, you have to imagine that the disciples could see that indeed Jesus was the Messiah. They didn't know everything about who Jesus was and what he was gonna do, but they were convinced that Jesus, this was the man who would redeem Israel, right? That he was the Messiah that they had been waiting for all along. They could see it, they could hear it. And yet Jesus, when he would go preach and heal from place to place, the people that they expected the most to respond to Jesus, what did they do? They rejected him. They rejected him. You're not the Messiah that we want. You're not the Messiah. And it had to baffle them, the the religious elite and the leaders, and certainly not all of them, but the majority of them, that when they looked at Jesus, they saw Jesus and heard Jesus, they didn't hear or see the Messiah. And they rejected him. And even those among the crowds that were enamored by Jesus would be there one day and gone the next. And the disciples who whose love was continuing to grow and they were continuing to be full of joy as they were seeing what Jesus was doing and hearing what Jesus was preaching. How could it be that we could see so clearly and even the ones who know the word of God the most and have been talking to us about the law and and teaching us about Moses reject you? How is it possible that people can't see what we see? I think they were discouraged. I think this is Jesus' attempt to help them make sense of what's going on all around them. This is Jesus saying, can I explain to you what you're experiencing right now? As you're seeing a few respond to me in faith and you're seeing many, many, many reject reject me and walk away. And many more who will receive me and then walk away. 
He's trying to explain to them what they're experiencing and seeing. He begins in verse nine. Let me just read this. His disciples asked him, what, 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 this, what does this parable mean? He replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God. I, I think Jesus wants them to know. I, I want you to know as you hear and see me for who I really am, that is a work of God's mercy in your life. It is a gift. This is not something that you've come up on your own because you're particularly wise or wiser than everyone else. This has been a gift of God to you. But let me also explain why so many people don't see what you're seeing and hear what you're hearing in me. This is, this is Jesus trying to make sense for them, Simon and the immoral woman. Can you imagine that? They're there right along with Jesus in that house with Simon and they expect Simon to be like, wow, this is the Messiah. And in comes this immoral woman and she falls at Jesus' feet and adores him and is in awe that she can know real forgiveness and real peace and real belonging, perhaps for the first time in her life. How could it be that this immoral woman can see who you are, but Simon can't see who you are? They were left scratching their heads like, the people that we least expect are the ones responding in faith. Jesus says, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why that's happening. That's his intent here. And something else that we see in these verses, especially in verse 10, the latter part of verse 10, he says, I use parables to teach the others so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. So there's a prophetic word. The parables are used to bring to realization a prophetic word. And he recites a verse out of Isaiah. When they look, they won't really see. When they hear, they won't understand. And as I've said the past two weeks, that the nature, one of the functions of the parables is to bring judgment against those who have rejected God, the proud. It's an invitation for those who are hungry for righteousness to, to seek truth in the heart of these parables. And for others, it is condemnation. And that's what he's saying here. For you, it has been a work of God's mercy that you're able to see and respond to me. But for others, uh, the, the parables are fulfilling an old prophetic promise that it would bring judgment against those who will reject me. And we see this all over scripture. And I'm just gonna re recite one of them. This is uh, Jeremiah chapter eight, verse nine. It says this, let me begin in verse eight. How can you say we are wise because we have the word of the Lord when your teachers have twisted it by writing lies? These wise teachers will fall into the trap of their own foolishness for they have rejected the word of the Lord. Are they so wise after all? The parables and this doesn't make us all too comfortable, but the parables are that contemporary, present, prophetic word against those who are proud and wise in their own eyes. And Jesus says, it'll be superficial. The, the, the devil will distort it and rob them of truth. 
and they will walk away from me. They will reject me, and it fulfills this prophetic promise. Um, we see it also, and just another way to say this is, is that the rejection of Israel at this point in time and many others who would walk away from Christ doesn't fall out of the providence of God. Um, we see this in uh, 1 Corinthians um, verses 18 through 27. Um, you, you can go with me there because I'm going to read several verses um, that kind of explains, this is kind of another explanation of this parable. It says this in verse 18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction. For those who are headed for destruction, but we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. Verse 20, so where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters, the Simon, the Pharisees of the world? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, and it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach, when we sow the word that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. What soil is that? But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. The last verse, God chose things despised by the world, those soils, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. These parables function in that kind of contemporary, present, prophetic word that there are those who consistently reject the word of God and these parables pronounce their judgment. And this parable is no different. This parable is no different. An explanation of what the disciples were experiencing and seeing rejection. And yet there will be those who receive the word of God and flourish and cling to it and the roots grow and sink deep and they bear much fruit. There will be a remnant. Jesus is painting that kind of picture. So what in the world do we do with a message like that? What do we do with a message or a parable that's trying to paint a picture of what the disciples were experiencing as the world and those that were hearing were interacting with Jesus, the revelation of God, with, with by far the majority rejecting him and only a few responding in faith. What are we to do with that right now? 
I, think, I can think of a few things. The first thing I think that we can do is that we can rejoice. For those of us who have received Jesus and are fighting to cling to him, doesn't mean we're perfect. We still struggle this side of eternity, but we long for his return. We, we're clinging to him to the very end, and we're, we're asking that the Holy Spirit bear much fruit in our life as we cling to this truth of Jesus, in that we rejoice, in that we, by God's mercy and grace, can see and behold the wisdom of God in Jesus. We rejoice along with the disciples that when Jesus said, it has been granted to you that you know the secrets of the kingdom. We also grieve. We rejoice, we grieve. We grieve at the lostness and rejection of Jesus in our world. That there are many that are going their own way and in their own pride saying, not for me, or, or, or they are enamored for Jesus for a moment and walk away, or Jesus has no place in their life. We grieve over those kind of responses to Jesus, over those kind of realities that we also experience and see in our culture. We grieve at popular culture. We grieve the philosophies of the world that are so far away from the truth of God. We grieve. But there's something else that we do. There's something else that we do. We do what Jesus does. We sow the word Jesus indiscriminately. Uh, we are to follow in the same path of that farmer. It's not us to determine the growth or where the seeds go deep or not. We are responsible with sowing the seed. Uh, that's what the disciples needed to hear. The disciples needed to hear that you will be responsible by the grace of God to be a sower of the seed, it's Christ in you. The message to the world through our words and our deeds that we sow into discriminately far and wide to rich and poor, powerful and weak. Jesus saying, disciples, you're not responsible for the growth. You leave that up to the, up to the Lord, but you are responsible to sow, sow, go, make disciples of all nations. Be a sower. I think Paul really tried to capture this when he, there was this little debate about who follows Apollos and who follows Paul. And, and in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse seven, he says, listen, you know, uh, I plant the seed, Apollos waters, but let God do the growth. Wouldn't it be awesome if we were faithful like Paul and Apollos? And not just reflecting on our own life, which I'm gonna to get to in a second, but we would say, you know what, unprejudicially, indiscriminately, I'm gonna be ambitious to sow the seed. I'm gonna sow the seed and I'm gonna water and I'm gonna let God take care of the rest. I'm gonna do what that farmer did. I'm gonna cast the seed far and wide and let God do the rest and I'm gonna trust it to him because it is outside of my wisdom to know how the seed is growing in the life of the person who hears. The last thing that I think it does for us personally is that it begs a question, and this is where most of us go when we interact with this text, and I think it's valuable. 
but I don't think it's the main point. It is valuable to ask the question of ourselves. When Paul says, you better examine your own faith, this is where this happens. We ask ourselves, how is the soil of my own life responding to the word Jesus? Now, mind you, I'm not talking about how did my, how did my life respond to the word Jesus? I want to know, this is the relevant question. How am I responding to Jesus in my life right now? That's the question that it begs. We can look fondly on experiences of receiving the word of God in our life. But this parable invites us to question what kind of soil is in our life in this moment. Right? Is there stuff choking it out? Is there stuff choking Jesus out of our life? I believe as believers, we can go through seasons where these soils can creep into our life. And this kind of reflection and question is an opportunity for repentance. To identify, yeah, I've got, I've got big boulders in my life that crowd Jesus out. I'm not surrounding myself with people that will nurture the growth of the word of God, but I surround myself with people who rob me of the word of God. Gosh, this is such a good question for self-examination for the now. So what is the soil of your life right now look like? What is it like? Are you reticent to hear and cling on to the words of God? Are you choked out by a schedule where Jesus seems not to be able to find any room at all? If you're a follower of Jesus, I know that the Spirit of God says, no, that's not what the kind of soil you need in your life. Can I invite you to a place of confession and repentance? And if you're not a believer, if you're not a believer, can I invite you for the first time to receive Christ? Listen, you can't know Forgiveness, joy, peace, hope, love without taking that gift that we have in Jesus and opening it and receiving it. Today, would you receive Jesus? Would you receive him in faith that as a son of God and a righteous life, he died for your sin on the cross and rose victorious over sin and death so that you can know forgiveness and restoration? Will you respond in faith today? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for um, your word. Thank you for that woman that washed your son's feet who tells the story of that fertile soil. Lord, may we be that kind of fertile soil every day. But Lord, may we also be that farmer that sows your seed far and wide and entrusts to you the management of that seed. Help us be faithful to live and speak Jesus into the lives of others. 
Lord, I pray for the individual that is aching right now because they recognize that their life is crowded, that they have no time for you. Lord, by the power of your spirit and the work of your grace, can you remove some boulders in their life right now? Lord, and to the one that has received a lie about you, that has received a distortion, that somehow I'm unloved or unworthy, or Lord, would by the power of your spirit and the work of your grace, will you turn that lie around? Would you cast it out? Would you reveal the truth to them that your son died for them too? That there's no sin, no attitude, no philosophy that can keep them from love and redemption if they would only receive you. Lord, we ask you to lead us to respond faithfully today. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.